everything old is new again. America's entertainment pop culture talk show. It may well possess a rudimentary intelligence. You try to think, but nothing happens. Feel the great disturbance in the force. Hello, I'm Mr. Ray. Come on, Mark, like a dog for me. Where's the goodies? Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. I bet you wouldn't have done anything like this if Mom and Dad were here. You filthy criminal. Excuse me while I whip this out. Go ahead. Make my day. Here are your hosts, Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Take it. He just doesn't have the power to stand there and trade with Jerry Cooney. Legs are almost gone for Eddie Gregg, it would appear. There's a hard uppercut, and down goes Eddie Gregg in the first round, and I don't think he's going to get up with any authority. Welcome to Everything Old is New Again. That's a couple of clips there from three fights that involved our special guest today. This is Douglas Viviani without David Cohen today. He's out training for his next match of wits with uh, with me, and he'll be here next week. But uh, we have a great special guest here to take David Cohen's place, so to speak, uh, Jerry Cooney, who is a former boxer, as we know. He's a winner of the New York Golden Gloves Championship. He emerged as a number one contain- contender for the heavyweight championship of the world. He's ranked, believe it or not, 53. He's pretty good on the Ring Magazine's top 100 greatest punchers of all time. We'll talk about that. Jerry Cooney fought all-time great Larry Holmes in one of the most memorable and anticipated title fights in boxing history. We'll, of course, talk about that a bit as well. But he joined us today to discuss his new book, Gentleman Jerry, a contender in the ring, a champion in recovery. Jerry Cooney, thank you very much for joining us. Everything holds new again. Hey, it's great to be with you. And I, you know, I, you know, listening to those fights, uh, those were some days. Those were the great days back when we had a lot of great fighters and a lot going on in the fight game. And, you know, believe it or not, it died out for a while. Now it's coming back. It's big and strong. You know, I'm on Sirius XM 153, 156 every Monday, every Friday. Uh, and uh, uh, Monday and Friday night, the fights with Randy Gordon. And we are in a great time for boxing. You know, that's what I wanted to ask you about, too. And we could do that now, right now, which is a great uh, segue here. But I wanted to talk about the boxing game a little bit. We had a show, a couple of shows back, we talked about you. We talked about the 1970s and 80s, how boxing uh, was, of course, the, even before then, Jack Dempsey. And we go all the way back to Gentleman Jim Corbett in that show we talk about. But the bottom line is, yeah, there seemed to be a little bit of a, a lack here of interest. And, you know, it, at this point in time, I bet you most Americans would have a hard time uh, presenting who was or is the champion right now, the heavyweight champion of the world. But back in the day, everyone knew that. So hopefully we're getting back to a point where uh, boxing becomes a household name again. Do you think some point in time that's ha- going to happen, or where, where are we on oh, that? Well, you know, you know, it's great, great question. And yes, I do. And what happened was boxing got off regular CBS, NBC, ABC, television and so the little kids who couldn't afford hbo and showtime and pay-per-view 
didn't get a chance to watch it, so a lot of people pulled away from it for that. And also, I think back then, you know, Don King, in my opinion, raped and robbed the game. Right. He took the heart out of boxing. And, and, and so, you know, like for me, I'm ranked the number one in the world. I can't get a fight because Don King owns everybody except for me. And, and, and so, yeah, yeah. And, and that's kind of slipped away now. We got great guys out there. We got Luda Bella. We got Joe Guada. We got the zone. We got top ranked Bob Aram, who's been in the game for 50 years, putting on some of the greatest fights of all time. So, listen, it's a very hopeful time. And it's back on regular mainstream television. It's right. on BBC, ESPN, ESPN Plus. So it's, it's a lot more visible for everybody. Yeah, I remember those days, uh, I'm sure you do too, growing up with Wide World of Sports, and you'd see maybe the Muhammad Ali-Frazier fight. Of course, it was a rerun you had to see it in, but you would see it, and right. they'd, have, they'd have both boxers. I think they did that with you as well, with Jerry Cooney, uh, we're talking with here, uh, with H- Howard Cosell and, and the Holmes fight, where afterwards you'd sit in the studio and talk about uh, the fight r- round yeah. by round. That was so great to, to do that. And that was a Saturday afternoon for a kid of 10 years old, let's say, like myself at the time that really you really got into the sport because it was right there in the afternoon and and even friday night fights before then in the 50s i'm sure so uh, i'm hoping they get back to something like that where they do the friday night fights did i hear a rumor they were doing something of that nature well you know Doug, also the fact that uh that you know the olympic team in america dropped away right when it got off uh mainstream television now it's coming back we're getting better athletes more experienced more interest, and I think yes, it's coming back. The heavyweight division is building. We got Deontay Wilder, Joshua. We got uh, Andy Ruiz. We got you know Tyson Fury. We got six or seven or eight great guys coming up in the heavyweight division. We got the light heavyweights, the cruiserweights, the lightweights. We got Lomachenko. We got uh, Errol Spence and Terence Crawford and um, Show, Showtime Sean Porter. We got in the welterweight division. We got. A lot of great fighters that are, are starting to become exposed and seen on regular television. So, yeah, I'm so excited about the game. I love it. Great. And we can hear you on, uh, as you just said previously, on Sirius Satellite, Channel 157. Is it there every day, every week? Uh, how often is your show? Well, it's, I said 153. It's 156. 166. And it's on Monday and Friday nights between 6 and 8 p.m. Eastern time. And we have a great show. We've been going all actors fighters, movie stars, athletes, and we talk about the game that's really going well right now. I'm so excited about the game. When I first got into radio, you know, I developed that radio face. I don't know if you have a radio face. I sure I do. do. <laughs> <laughs> so when I first got on, boxing was at a low. Now it's so exciting. There's fights on. For this whole month and a half, every weekend there's a great fight on. And that's great to hear because we want to get back into it. I remember those days, uh, and it's it's great to and, and to hear. And I would love to see boxing back up there with baseball, basketball, football, where we're all you know we all know what's going on and people are, are involved. And let's go back a little bit in time here. There was that uh, uh, those fights we just heard, but also just specifically talking about your book, Gentleman Jerry. You mentioned that in or at the time that you fought Jimmy Young and beat him, that was the time you first got into the national limelight with national TV spotlight there on a fight. A solid, you solidified you as a number one contender. You got a cover of Sports Illustrated after that. and uh, But you also mentioned in the book how 
even at that level where that was uh, you were advanced, I, I didn't count them up, but it's got to be about 18, 19, 20 fights into the game right. that you right. uh, learned to go to the body, or at least maybe relearned and remembered to, that it was important to go to the body when you've got your adversary in trouble, not just hitting the head. And you mentioned that. I found it interesting that you're that advanced. You had like uh, quite a number of amateur bouts, and now you have quite a number of uh, pro bouts, and you're still learning. Is that possible as a uh, as a boxer growing up to be a pro and still learn as you go along? Oh, you know, Doug, yes. And yes, I, I, when I was a kid, I was 17, I saw my older brother, Tom, out in the bar, and he kept banging against the people was crowded, and this big guy stood up and called him outside. So when I went outside with my brother, I saw my brother hit him with a right hand to the body and a left hook on the chin, and it knocked all the wind out of him, and then on the chin it knocked him out cold. Right. When I saw that, I became a left hooker right away. And I love the body because the body breaks down the head. You can't get to the head necessarily all the time, but if you break down the body, the legs will fall. And you did that with your devastating left hand. I guess we could say mostly, uh, you know, you jabbed a lot with the left, but the left hook was to the body was really uh, quite a punch for you. Now, you were a natural lefty, I believe, correct? I, I, I did not know it at the time, but I'm a converted southpaw, but I fought right-handed all the time. And That's what I was going to ask. It was out, interesting. Go ahead, yes. It, it was great for my left jab because it was all my power. You know, I throw... You know, 25 jabs around. I throw about five right hands. So my left hand was like a right hand was like a right hand all the time, and that set everything up for me. And um, I had a great teachers. I uh, John Cavabianco is the amateurs. I got Victor Valley in the pros, and I developed. And you know, it's funny, but you play it forward. Now I get a chance to train guys, and I'm you know working hard to take these guys past the place that I got. Which is a great uh, story unto itself, which we will get into uh, in our next section here. I want to read a little bit of, from the back of the book here of Gentleman Jerry, a quote uh, from Jack Reese, who's a world championship boxing referee and judge. What an experience for anyone who reads this book. Take this journey through the real-life struggles in and out of the ring of a top heavyweight contender where you'll become aware of the human spirit of a fighter. That's Jerry Cooney. We have Jerry Cooney right here on Everything Old is New Again. The book, Jerry Cooney's new book, of course, is Gentleman Jerry, a contender in the ring, a champion in recovery. We'll find out what this recovery reference is uh, as we proceed as well. We'll be back right after this on Everything Old is New Again. You're listening to Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. A good right by Cooney. A much better round for Cooney. A quick right by Holmes. Hey, Holmes was hurt for a second. Brown is getting its money's worth. The corner of Cooney. Oh, good right by Cooney. Good right. Valley implored Cooney, you've got to do it now. What Holmes should do is be wary. I see fatigue in Larry Holmes. That's, that's why there's no movement. Larry Holmes is in trouble. He's covering. 
There we go. We're back here on Everything Old is New again with uh, Jerry Cooney, who was fighting Larry Holmes there in Caesar's Palace, the outside uh, area, arena there, let's say, in 1982. Boy, I hear that was like 100 degrees during the day. Went down to a balmy 89 at fight time. Uh, we're here with Jerry Cooney, who's got a new book out. Gentleman Jerry, a contender in the ring, a champion in recovery. Now, of course, unfortunately, in the 13th round, that was a TKO, but it was a heck of a fight. And uh, uh, Jerry did lose the fight, but he didn't lose many of his fans. He still was a hometown hero from Huntington, Long Island, where I grew up as well. I'm a little couple of years behind, but uh, we did cross paths here and there when I was working in McDonald's. Once in a while, a limo would pull up and the window would open. There was Jerry getting his Big Mac uh, <laughs> every so often. Now, there was, there was a New York Times article uh, back in the day, the day after. I just want to read a quote or two, which I thought was very interesting. Um, there's a, a quote here from a 25-year-old guy back in the time the Times had asked people about the fight and about you and it said hey this is Cooney country it always will be says one uh, gentleman that was watching the bout it is drive-in theater in Smithtown think about that and other people are saying that let's say the supervisor which is like a mayor of the area was uh, was very uh, proud of him and he won 13 rounds he's a world uh, heavyweight contender and did very well to us he's still a champ they wanted to have and arrange for a parade so we all supported uh, Jerry but from what I understand this book, if you look behind the scenes of what happened to Jerry Cooney after that fight, there was a bit of, you know, you apologized and you felt a little bit, uh, uh, what would you say, depressed for sure about the results of that fight. And I wonder if you could take us down the road a little bit about uh, losing a big national television fight in the championship of the world. Uh, boy, what is that? The next day you wake up, what, what is that like? Well, listen, first I want to tell you, it wasn't 89 degrees that night in the ring. It was 115 Jeez. under the light. Unbelievable. Okay. So it was very hot. And, and uh, listen, um, that was a great time. And, and you know, I fought Holmes. He was so patient and calm, and, and he was such a pro. And him and I are the best of friends today, and that's what happens in boxing. You get in there, you hate each other, you fight. After the fight's over, you become friends, and we uh, go on and spend a lot of time during the year together. Uh, listen, that was a tough time in my in my life, but that's not when it really ended because in 1981, I knocked out Kenny Norton in 54 seconds of the first round, and I was on the map. I got made. I'm going to get a shot. Larry Holmes. You think I would have said to myself, well, let me, get in, let me get in shape. Let me get a good trainer. Let me take care of myself. But that's not what happened. See, I had a crazy upbringing when my father told me I was no good. I was a failure. I was not the Mount Davy to help me learn how to survive. But what that did to me was that night when I knocked that note, I got scared. Right. And I started to drink that night. And that's looking back over my life and in the book, you see, that's when my career really ended that night. Little did I know. Which is interesting. If you look at the book, I'm going to read a, a real quick sentence out of it, page 129, talking about that right after the Ken Norton victory in 1981, which I think you just referenced. Uh, the deterioration process would unfold over nearly a decade, with each year consisting of a myriad of strange happenings in the often same world that is the sport of boxing. But uh, you mentioned basically the date that uh, cocaine also entered into the picture, and uh, I don't know, did, did you, like I mentioned now definitively, in the book definitively, that that was the end of your career, or at least that was the beginning of the end. Unfortunately, as an addict, did you know, even in the back of your mind, that this you were doing this to uh, you know, avoid the, 
the feelings you had in your mind of inadequacy, I guess you'd say, but did you know that, boy, this is, this is going to take me down the road where my career is ending as a result of this, or do you just kind of lie no. to yourself as an addict? No, and I don't think I was an addict. I think I used it as a way not to feel. Right. You know, like people use food not to feel. Right? You know, we will overwork out not to feel. I think it's a, it's a, 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 a you know, mechanism that we use that, you know, if you don't take care of the engine, me and me, it's not going to work so good. Right. And that's what happened. The alcohol allowed me to drink more than I should have been drinking. And I didn't get up at six in the morning to go running. And I made a lot of mistakes. But at the time, it was the only coping mechanism I thought I had. And I didn't have someone to grab me by the arm and say, hey, Cooney, come on, come with me. This is really important now. Let's take care of yourself. And listen, and I love fighting. And I love New York. I love Long Island. And I was fighting for, with the hope of, uh, for everybody who struggled in life because I was struggling. And sometimes we get over it and sometimes we don't. And that night in the home site, I didn't have the tools. I wasn't prepared like I should have been. Right. And, and you know, that's the, that's the bad side. The good side is that I survived. Right. I got out of the hole. I cleaned myself up. And uh, April 21st, 1988, I ran into a guy, Jack B., from New York, I'll call him as Jack Burnett, and he told me to come in and sit down with him at a pancake cottage, and I, he said he hadn't had a drink in three years. And that was the last time I picked up a drink. That's or amazing. any kind of, you know, you know, uh, recreational drug. And I got my life back moving forward. Now you did that, uh, that's an inspiration, you did that just from the sheer uh, conversation and will and support of this individual? Or, uh, you know, what wasn't, how did you, how do you do that? So many people have a difficult time just turning it off like that. You know, I think I must have just been ready. Yeah. I was tired of being sick and tired. And this guy, I just happened to go into the pancake house that morning, I never did before, and he was there, and he said, sit down with me. And he just had three years that day. Wow. And from that moment, we have, we've always been friends, we're always great friends, but it made sense to me, whatever he said to me, he said, you know, you never have to drink again. Right. And I said, wow, I heard that a thousand times, but not like that. And, and that was April 21st, 1988. Great, good for you. It's great to hear. And, the, you know, the thing of it is, though, I have children, you have children, and, and you know, we think about bringing up our children the proper way, and uh, and I think there's a lot more focus on parents these days than there were back in the day. But talking about that, you know, some of the, and we'll call it a demon, or some of that thought in the back of your mind that you weren't worthy, or, you know, a lot of people have this, they reach some success. And like you said, you were afraid of it, and you didn't have that support, maybe of, of someone that uh, or family members uh, that could have guided you a little bit better through those times. Goes all the way back from what I could see in this book here. You're interesting how you open up about your life and your your dad who put a boxing ring in the backyard and started to train you, so to speak. But he wasn't the the nicest gentleman in the world to you, and and didn't build your self confidence. So, speaking of that, you know, for a child that's going through a difficult not, not time now that might be listening, where mom and dad may not be the most supportive of their dreams or of what they want to do or even just of their daily lives. That kid that's uh, 13 like you or the, that would cower in the basement away from dad when he was home or what have you, what would what would your message would you give that kid as you sit here today, somebody that went through that? You know, here's the story. I, I You know, when I look at someone, they look fine. Everything's beautiful. If I don't put my hand out and tell you what's going on for me, you can't tell. Right. And so either you're going to spend years of 
of dragging yourself in the dirt and not taking care of yourself and hurting people and hurting yourself, or you're going to become aware of what's happening. And my father did what he did because that's all he knew. Right. Unfortunately, back in them days, that's what they did. But I hid it from everybody, and, and, and the problem was no one knew it. Right. And so the idea is to put it out there on the table. Read. Ask for help. Go to your teacher in school and tell them what's going on. You know, the, the, you know, the, the problem with this, this uh, mental problem is that they tell you, don't tell nobody. You know, keep it to yourself. Don't let anybody know there's a problem. And that's the worst thing in the world. We got to let somebody know close to us what's happening and to start the recovery process. Right, because what we do as parents now, and in, in the reverse side of what you do as a child, of course, um, will and does affect you for the rest of your life until you are able to overcome uh, that, you know, through your maturity and your education as as you did. Uh, so that's a great message, and we'll get back to that message and, and more of what uh, Jerry Cooney's doing. Uh, a couple seconds left here, a quick fun question. Do you ever go back to Huntington? Uh, does it bring back good... And bad memories, or always, what happens? I, I always go back to Huntington. I grew up there. I have a high school friend there. I see people on luncheonettes. I see kids I went to school with. I have six or eight great friends that live in Huntington still. And so, yeah, I mean, this is a great life we have. And I get to, the great part about it for me is everywhere I travel, I get to meet great people. Right. And spend some time with them, get to know them, let them get to know me. And that's what being a celebrity was about for me, and it still is. And that's uh, tremendous to hear, and it's great to hear that you're still uh, and uh, were and still are friends with Larry Holmes, who says, Jerry's a hell of a man. Uh, if he would have waited one year later, he would have been heavyweight champion of the world. To me, he is a great man. I always liked him, and we will always be friends. Again, that's former heavyweight champion, Hall of Famer Larry Holmes. The book is Gentleman Jerry, a contender in the ring, a champion in recovery. We'll be back right after this on Everything Old. So again. Now, back to America's Entertainment Pop Culture Talk Show. Everything old is new again with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Michael looks calm, but when we spoke to him earlier this week, he, he really openly admitted to us that he is very concerned about facing Jerry Cooney. He said, I'm worried about how I'm going to hit him. I'm worried about what's going to happen when he hits me. So now, Vince will step up into the ring and face the Giants across 20 feet of campus. Alex, what do you expect to happen once the bell rings in round one? Jim, I think the biggest single factor in the fight, obviously, is Cody's power. But in the Holmes fight, Jerry was so preoccupied with his stamina and his ability to go the distance that he never really unloaded his power and took the initiative. Jerry says he learned his lesson from that fight. He'll jump on Michael from the opening bell. If Jerry Cody can plant his feet wind up and hit Michael Spinks, this fight is over. There we are. We're back here and everything old is new again. That's a little pregame, if you will, of the Cooney-Spinks fight 1987. We're here with Jerry Cooney having a great time talking about Gentleman Jerry, a contender in the ring, a champion in recovery, a great book. you got to get involved with this, this book. It takes you behind the scenes of 
the boxing match itself. In other words, boy, after you know, you see the fight and you know what's going on the outside looking in, you really don't know what's going inside the mind of the boxer, and you could really uh, see that develop in this book. It's great. You, you have a discussion here in this uh, book about the Holmes fight. A lot of the fights, round by round, or at least as the action's going and what you're thinking about and so forth. In the Holmes fight, now, we're talking about a time when you proved, because at the time... You hadn't gone many rounds. It wasn't your fault. You had defeated a lot of uh, contenders or, or uh, adversaries uh, with that uh, knockout punch early in, early in the, the matches, so you, you, you couldn't last a long time. In the Holmes fight, you went 13 rounds, so you finally had the ability to prove, number one, that you could take a punch, and number two, survive for 13 rounds. Did that, you know, I know it's a consolation, but we, we see this, hear this Rocky music in, a little bit, and I'm just wondering, did that have any kind of effect on you in the positive that, wait a minute, at least I've been able to go toe-to-toe 13 rounds and take what this guy has to give for that uh, length of time. Did you at some point come to terms with that, that that was a, little, a victory unto itself? Well, listen, here it was, right? I didn't have a lot of experience. Like you said, I had a lot of early-round knockouts. Uh, Don King wouldn't give me anybody. It was 115 degrees. But I was in there with a great heavyweight champion of the world. I learned a lot that night from him. I learned about, you know... I wanted to prove I could go the distance. And so I'm trying to go the distance instead of fighting. That's inexperience. That's what happens. Right. But I, I, uh, that being said, listen, we fought our asses off that night. Yep. We worked hard. And uh, he, he had to turn on the top of it that night. And that night we became close friends. And so, listen, it was a great experience. I loved every second of it. And I would do it again. He won't fight me, though. I try to get on the, in the ring again. He won't fight me. <laughs> That's great. Uh, maybe he'll he'll appear on your show on satellite uh, radio on, on Sirius. Uh, I don't know if that's in the, in the works, but you know you could you could have a battle of wits at that point on channel one sixty six. With respect to the time frame, Rocky came out or at or about the time frame that you were on the way up. And uh, I wonder, did it have any influence upon you when you first saw that and you 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 weren't uh, you know the contender yet, but you were you were kind of struggling along and, and becoming the boxer that you became. Uh, did it have any effect upon you the the movie of the Rocky Rocky itself? Are, are you kidding? I remember watching Rocky and then he got up and and broke eggs, raw eggs, and drank them down in the morning before he went running. <laughs> you know, the next morning I got up and drank two raw eggs. It was like I almost, I almost got sick. <laughs> and so, you know, that was in the movies. But yeah, I love Sylvester Stallone. What he did was show the world that the little guy can make it. Right. You know, he was the underdog. He was the guy that wasn't supposed to make it. But he fought, and he fought his heart out and got to the top. And, yeah, I love that. I was on the cover of Time Life with Sylvester Stallone back in 1981 or 82. I'm not really quite sure, uh, you know, uh, which year it was. But it, we had a great time. Uh, we got together. We spent time together. And, listen, I got a chance to, in the book. It talks about Frank Sinatra, Bob Hope, Dean Martin, all those guys I got a chance to spend time with back in those days. And, man, it was nothing like it in the whole world. That's incredible. And and speaking of Hollywood, uh, you know, this book is called Gentleman Jerry. So I went back in time and pulled out a clip here real quick. I'm going to play a, a little piece of Gentleman Jim Corbett from 1942, Errol Flynn. Wow. But uh, let's see what this rings about. You know something? The first time I saw you fight, I was just a bit of a kid. There wasn't a man alive could have stood up to you then. And tonight, 
Well, I was just mighty glad that you weren't the John L. Sullivan of ten years ago. I don't know how we might have come out, oh, say, eight, ten years ago. Uh, maybe I was faster then. But if I was, tonight, you're the fastest thing on two feet. I don't know much about this uh, gentleman stuff they're hanging out about you. Maybe you're bringing something new to the fight game. Something it needs and never got from fellas like me. I don't know. But I do know this. Though it's tough to be a good loser, it's a lot tougher to be a good winner. Thanks again, John. I hope that when my time comes, I can go out with my head just as high as yours. All right, the little uh, clip there from an old movie, but I bring it up because a boss uh, of yours, you worked in a gas station growing up here, and uh, and he presented to you the idea that he, you reminded him of G Gentleman Jim Corbett. And now, of course, the name of the book is Gentleman Jerry. So uh, that's a moniker that you have adopted in some ways. And so the question is, why is that? And how do you relate to that in in, in the scheme of things? Well, it's, it's, just, uh, it's a good moment. <laughs> I mean, let me draw my eyes. Listen, that was a great scene in that film. I love that scene. Listen, my, 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 my buddy I went to work for, he said I remind him of Gentleman Jim Corbett. Well, listen, I, I, I grew up in a bad family. I learned not to, you know, kept me down. I hid in the back of the room and never said anything. But in real life, I wanted to help people. I wanted to make people feel right. I wanted to help them along their path. And something that never happened for me back in those days. But that's what I wanted to be. And that's who I wanted to be. And I've been fortunate enough for my life to be able to do that. And I love every second of it. People call me, tell me my father's sick. He's a very big fan. I said, do me a favor, call him. I love those things. Those are the most precious moments that we have in life. And I'm, I, get to, I get to go play them forward all the time. That's great to hear. And in fact, you're, you're doing that now. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? You mentioned a little bit at the end of the book, but what do you do on a daily basis with children and so forth? Well, I mean, I, listen, I, I go to troubled kids and spend time with them and let them know that they, people that we care about them, that we love them, and that if you keep walking down the same street and falling in the hole, you're going to wind up breaking your arm, breaking your neck, and eventually going to jail or dying. So we have to find a different route. We can't keep going down that road. There's a big hole. So I try and tell them, listen, I know you want to play basketball, I know you want to play football, or you want to box, but if you can't, you got to have something to fall back on. Stay in school. Find out what your passion is and work towards it. And then we, we box and we get rid of frustrations. They build confidence because now they learn how to fight. They learn how to box. They don't have to fight anymore. Once you learn how to fight, you have a confidence about yourself. You don't have to fight no more. Right. And, and that's what, you know, was something that helped you, from what I understand, in your struggles growing up, was you at least had the ability, uh, you know, to take out your anger and your frustration and the difficulties you're experiencing uh, through boxing and, uh, and through training. So I guess that's something where you, you turned a negative into a positive, where you were able to uh, take that frustration and anger and, and hit the bag with it, I guess, right? Is that pretty much what boxing well, did for listen, you? I went to the gym because my brother left the home when he was 15, and I love my my brother and he was wanted to be a fighter he started going to his gym and so I got to go a couple days and watch him and I had a heavy bag in the basement so I used to bang the heavy bag 
Well, I went to the gym to see him, and I said, can I box that guy? And it was a smaller guy than me, but he'd been boxing for four or five years. And he smacked me around that day. And I threw the gloves off and went back home and said, forget it. But I went back to the bag realizing that he's going to come on me. And so I went back to the, the boxing gym where my brother was, and they asked if I could box that kid again at 15 and a half, and he couldn't do that to me again. And then six months later, I went in and won the middleweight title on St. Patty's Day or the day before in Madison Square Garden, and I won the middleweight championship, and that's how I got born. And, and that's a, a great story. This one of a few uh, that stories we're talking about here in this interview. There are many, many more stories of inspiration and behind the scenes of what it's like to be a boxer. And it's not just that. It's also a story of the maturity process of of all of us, but of course of, of gentleman Jerry Cooney. And a little quote here from Steve Farhood, Farhood, who's a boxing analyst for Showtime. Jerry Cooney has always had to fight both in and out of the boxing ring and the fact that he's always done so gallantly and admirably is not lost on those of us who know him well his story is compelling and john grady does a detailed job of chronicling all of it from huntington new york to las vegas nevada where cooney's title fight with larry holmes stopped the world cooney's story has never been told this thoroughly as and and this well it makes for a great read i would uh, wholeheartedly recommend that and suggest that that's correct we'll be back right after this to continue one more section with Jerry Cooney on Everything Old's New Again. This is Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Later around, watch the inside left hook by Cooney. There, and that punch moved George Foreman. Oh, there's a good left counter by Cooney. We're here back on Everything Old is New Again with Jerry Cooney. And we're, that was a little clip from the Foreman fight, his last uh, battle. Yes, and that had to be amazing to, to fight someone you probably saw fighting uh, when you were growing up, right? Uh, back in the day? You know, George Foreman, I, I was promoting some of his fights at that time. And, and then he came to me one day and said, listen, why don't you and I fight? And I thought, you know, I never was without a drink before. I said, let me take this. I'm, I'm, I can do it clean. And I took the fight. It was, you know, made a lot of money. I got in great shape, but I hadn't been sober. You know, when you stop drinking, it takes a while to catch up with your brain. You know, you, you work through steps and, and you do things to, to become more aware of the past. But I just... You know, I was, Gil Clancy told me, Jerry, move for seven, eight rounds. Don't slug it out with him. But I heard him, I heard him with a hook to the body and a hook to the head. And when you're a puncher and you do that, I opened up on him and I got caught with a shot. And, but it helped me to turn the page on my life and get out of boxing and move on with my life. And it's been a great experience. I have a great wife with three great kids and I'm so excited about, I got a movie in the works. I'm working on a television series at Netflix or Amazon, and as I just said, my book is out, and it's just been a great experience. 
I think that's tremendous to, to hear that you're still growing, still producing, still creative, still, uh, you know, doing things that are enjoyable in life. There is life after your first career, if you will. Um, wow. You know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's important to learn, especially when, you know, you've gone through such tough times, you know, during uh, your career. And there was a time there when you, you know, just because of, you know, alcohol and other things and uh, maybe immaturity that your sleep patterns were disrupted uh, by uh, by this, you, 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 you don't realize that when you're training to be a boxer, you know, that extra weight you have to lose is not easy right. and, and affects, I guess you'd say, also your ability to box down the road. And, uh, you know, you. Well, well, no doubt about it, Doug. And you know yeah. what? I knew that no matter what, I have a picture of me when, the, when, the, when they would come to my room and open the door and say, Cooney, you're next. I got a picture of me walking down this dark hallway to the ring. And man, you, your life passes before you. But I knew. Once the bell rang, I had to fight. I didn't care about them introducing me or anybody else. Just bring the bell, because once the bell rang, I got to fight. And I was very good at that for a long period of time. I got a guy, I, for me, I made it from nothing to number one in the world as a heavyweight contender. And I don't know how I did it, but I'm sure my God helped me along the way. And it's been a great experience ever since. And I think also a, a message that uh, you present in the book a little bit there is a story. You mentioned a little bit about it now, but you know your, your older brother Tommy, in some ways, you say had more talent at boxing than you did, but he lost yeah. in the Golden Gloves when you won because he did not. Uh, and this is what it says in the book: prepare as well as he could have. Now you know you've well, got preparation versus true talent and so forth um, you know tell us a little bit about about that and what lesson we can learn from that well I mean everything's got to fall together at the right time he was a very big puncher and a good guy he left the house when he was 15 he was on his own 15 he was 19 in the Golden Gloves he, he lived on his own he trained but he didn't like to run and I remember the morning we got weighed in I prayed to God I said God if one of us has to lose let it be me because I knew my brother right couldn't take the defeat. I, I mean, I can't either. Nobody can, really. Right. But he, he went out and, and I won the middleweight championship that night and he fought a very tough guy from the Virgin Islands who came to New York. He, he had a lot of fights. But you, in a sub-novice, you're not supposed to have any fights. But nobody knew him in New York right. and he got into the tournament and he beat my brother on decision. It was a great fight, but my brother didn't stick with the game and I didn't. And so it's a, a you know a sort of a a lesson for all of us too that you know preparation if you're ready to do something or want to do something and you love doing it uh, that preparation is important you know like you when you're doing your your radio show I'm sure right. ahead of time there's preparation you don't just get on the radio you're researching and preparing and you need to know what fight let's say is coming up or what uh, your guest is that you're talking to and what you're going to talk to them about right so you need to prepare even in anything that you do in life just to you know, even if you just had the, the greatest talent in the world, that's not going to do right. it for you if there's no preparation. Does that make sense? And that's, the, and Douglas, that's so right. And a perfect line is, can you help me? And I've asked that question. I, uh, you know, I've asked that question a lot. Can you help me with this? Right. It's, it's not, and it's, that's what we got to do. we got to learn to put ourselves on the table and take a risk. Exactly. I find that also in uh, in life that there's a lot of people that, and I don't know why it's like that these days. It wasn't like that in the 70s and 80s, I don't think, but a lot of people, they, they have trouble taking responsibility sometimes for what they've done and or uh, they have, like you say, a difficult time 
asking for advice and consultation. Many people think, especially young people, I think these days, I have some, some young kids, and they, they think they know it all already and don't, and they have that ego and they don't want to ask for help. But it's the easiest question in the world, but one of the most important things to do is to ask for help, and no matter what you're doing, I guess, right? And most kids, they're embarrassed. Right. You know, they're, they're shy because they don't know how to do it. But just take a risk one time, and there'll always be someone there for you to help you. It, that makes a lot of sense, and and uh, I think um, you could say there was a number of adults in your life early on that were father and father figures that disappointed yes. you, but eventually you found uh, a few that became important in your life that did not, uh, what would you say, did, did well, not it, disappoint you. You know what I found out? Everybody has fault, and I was looking for the perfect father figure. Right. There is no perfect father figure, and I can't have all those voices be taken away from somebody else I have to work through them and when I do that I'm free right and that's I'm free to, to love my children like you can't believe and to be able to have the love return to me and to love my wife and to be intimate as much as I can be now it's crazy it's a beautiful thing and, and that's the thing is that you've, you've come a long way full circle where um, it's, it's even it's, it's touching in that you must be at this point in time we don't mention the book too much but you must be quite a dad to have learned all of these lessons from the struggling uh, time you when you were a child and what that's like to not have the greatest parent in the world let's say uh, to, to, to oh, not making that mistake now bringing up your children they, they're, they're, they're lucky children I would say no? Listen, I gave my kids whatever they wanted to do, they had, they, we did it. I taught them how to box. My daughter's a great dancer. My son is a weight trainer. I mean, you know, we have to, listen, 90% of the world is putting our kids down. We got to pick them up. Now listen to this. Then what happens, they go off to college and they forget all about us. That's <laughs> right. But they'll come back. They always come back soon, yeah, at some right, point. It's, it's, right. it's, it's that natural, I think we did it too as kids, you know, it's that natural let me get away uh, from mom right. and dad is too much, so to speak, but then they realize uh, we were there for, for the best and, and providing the best that we, we could possibly do. No, but, but you know what? That means we did a good job. They're self, they're self, they can take care of themselves. Exactly, exactly. And uh, speaking of taking care of themselves, George Foreman um, takes care of a a quote here on Gentleman Jerry, a contender in the ring, a champion recovery uh, so well. He says, Jerry Cooney is not only one of the hardest punchers we've seen in the heavyweight division, but also the most loving, sharing, and forgiving human being of all time. Boxing is better for Jerry. Just read and see. And I would agree with that. Uh, you got to get involved with this book Jerry Cooney Jerry Cooney spending a little time with us uh, Jerry yeah what made you feel I mean the, your co-writer uh, John Grady does put his point of view into this book it's rather unique in between some chapters you'll hear his voice as to what he was going through when he had the opportunity to meet you and, and, and chronicle your story but how about on the other side what was it like for you to work with him and what made you finally say hey you know what yes let's do a book well you know I had been thinking about it for a while but I wasn't ready I mean I had I, I had to had work things, things out in my head and I worked through it and somehow I ran into these two guys and we talked about it and we started to work and, and the process was it was painful but it was also great and it was freeing you know I think about so many things in my life I had all great people in my life I had re- relationships that when they asked me about love 
I didn't know how to deal with that. And I failed a bunch of times. You know, I couldn't, I wasn't available to be in relationships on a loving level like that. So things like that, that we, we work through and become free from, is, uh, is amazing. And that's great to hear. Uh, it's a story of inspiration. It's a story of uh, of someone that really came from somewhere that was a, kind of a dark place that is now in the light and living a great life. This is Gentleman Jerry Cooney. The book is Gentleman Jerry. It's a contender in the ring, a champion in recovery. Just came out. It's a great book. I read through this, and I'm going to pass this around. I I'm, I'm actually should say this. I'm going to pass the link around for Amazon for people to buy this book and uh, I really think it's a great read. It's a lot of fun, especially a local hero from Huntington finally to get to meet Jerry Cooney after all these years. Uh, Jerry, thank you so much for spending time with us on Everything Old is New Again. You know, thank you. And BarnesandNoble.com as well. Amazon.com. Listen, I love being with you. Thank you. Anytime. Uh, It's my pleasure. I look forward to it. We'll have you back uh, to talk about boxing in general, uh, something of that nature down the line. Anytime. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be back next week. And Everything Old is New Again. Talk about all things pop culture. (laughs) 